Welcome, everyone, to our new edition of BAMS Radio here on Thursday, April the 5th, 2018. I'm your host, Drew Armin. Great to be with you again here tonight on this Thursday. Uh, Thomas The Rock Watts, the wizard, uh, had a chance to uh, uh, sit in with him on Bama Scheme Team last week, had an interesting conversation with Murph Baldwin and those guys about, of course, Jalen and Tua. And uh, Thomas is have, does a Bama Scheme Team twice a week with Murph Baldwin. A uh, good friend of this podcast and my show as well. Had Murph on my show recently, talking ball in Huntsville, Alabama, on 97.7 The Zone. We talked about Alabama and Georgia, and uh, Thomas is with me tonight, of course, uh, as our co-host and wizard behind the curtain. And our third amigo is with us, uh, William Redfish Barger, uh, from 89 to 93, a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, and a 1992 national champion. And William, uh, we are a few minutes late tonight uh, in beginning our recording because I had a chance to spend some time with your former offensive line coach who is in my neck of the woods here in North Alabama, uh, a guy you know very well, Jimmy Fuller, uh, who uh, is uh, visiting our community, maybe relocating from the great city of Atlanta. But I know uh, we, we couldn't sit here for three or four hours, but I know uh, you've got a lot of uh, memories and uh, stories that you could tell about Jimmy Fuller. Probably couldn't uh, repeat a lot of them, at least on a uh, radio broadcast, but I know he meant a lot to your career. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and, and Drew, it's it's funny because he means a lot to me more now than he did then. Um, you know, both uh, my, my best friend from Alabama, John Clay, and I, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess about two years ago, kind of, you know, formed a an agreement that we would check in with Coach Fuller, you know, every three or four months. And um, neither one of us has done a very good job of living up to that promise, but, you know, we, we do talk to him. Um, I, I've talked to him several times and, you know, you'll, you'll figure this out, Drew, because you're, you're a little bit younger than me. And, you know, I know Thomas is still such a young man as you get older and, and you start, you know, it, it's, it's, it's so just, just crazy to me, um, you know, talking about, um, you know, I'm staring down the barrel of my 30th, you know, high school reunion. Um, you know, hell, the the 92 teams not far behind that. But you know, when I do get a chance to talk to Coach Fuller, um, it, it's it, it's cathartic because uh, you know I, I was you know an out of control 18 year old when I went down there to Tuscaloosa, and he did his best. Uh, to, to try and, you know, reel me in, and, and, you know, that didn't always happen. But we have such great conversations. Um, he, he is such a fine man, you know, a great representative of the University of Alabama. You know, I know, you know, he's got history, um, you know, with a guy that you uh, spend a lot of time with on the radio up there um, at the radio station that you work with, uh, you know, West Neighbors. Um, but I always enjoy the times that we do get to talk because it's, it's great to, you know, kind of revisit the past and still kind of trying to, you know, parlay it or relay it into, you know, what's going on now with college football. Um, but you know, it's, we're inside of 30 years now, um, when Jimmy Fuller was a part of Bill Curry's. Uh, you know, football staff there in the late 80s, and he was given the choice of to stop smoking on the sideline or take his ass up to the uh, press box. And, you know, he chose to, uh, you know, not stop smoking and take his ass up to the press box. So, 
you know, that's, that's kind of the guy that he is. He's, uh, you know, always kind of marched to the beat of his own drummer, but one of my favorite people, um, that, that has a, you know, really, really deep, you know, deep roots into the, uh, Alabama football history. Um, you know, did the best that he could to try and reel me in and, and, and make me, um, an accountable, uh, teenager and, and young man at Alabama. And, and I think the world coach Fuller, he, uh, has always been a big, big, big influence in my life. And I thank him, you know, all the time when we talk for what he did try to do for me. It was funny. He shared some stories uh, about uh, Ray Perkins, fellow uh, Alabama football player and uh, former teammate of Coach Fuller's working for him at Alabama. Uh, I know you didn't have to do this. By then, uh, Bill Curry had taken over, and then we transitioned to Gene Stallings. But, of course, Coach Fuller worked for them all, and – he was uh, lamenting on the three-a-days that Ray Perkins had them going through. A practice for the offense, a practice for the defense, and then a practice for the kicking game <laughs> back in the day during spring practice. Well, Drew, you know, I wasn't a part of those, uh, those Ray Perkins practices, but I'll tell you what I was a part of. I guess that's something that Bill Curry inherited and – you know, my, my true freshman year was, you know, in the fall of 1989. And uh, I guess Bill Curry uh, decided to go with that principle. And we had those same uh, three-a-days. I mean, it was th- – you know, and this was back wow. – got to remember, you know, this was, you know, pre-NCAA regulations. I mean, we did – Oh, yeah, you have 20 – yeah, 20 practices if they wanted yeah. to. Yes, I mean, we did three hours in the morning, three hours midday for special teams, three hours in the in the afternoon, and and you know if you want to compare it to, you know what Nick Saban is putting, you know his troops through right now in spring practice, this was the, uh, uh, you know the itinerary that we got as players for spring practice. Um, it was thirty days. Uh, 25 of the 30 days could be in full pads, um, and and you know it was brutal. Uh, but but I never will you know will forget that, um, you know my freshman year under Bill Curry, you know goes along with Coach Fuller. Um, we were out there, and, and I, I promise you, Drew, this was the hottest um, football game that I ever participated in. Um, in, in September of two, uh, excuse me, not two, 1990, um, against Brett, a Brett Favre led, uh, Southern Miss team. When we wandered out there onto the artificial turf at Legion field, um, during warmups, I never will forget LeBaron Carruthers taking this measurement. It was 130. I'm excuse me. It was, uh, yes, it was 133 degrees. Wow. kickoff. Um, we go out there, you know, to, to face that, that Brett Favre-led Southern Miss team. And by halftime, um, this was the first year that we had, um, you know, incorporated the black Nike, um, you know, not only turf cleats, but, you know, grass cleats as well. And those black turf cleats that we, you know, wandered out there for kickoff in, had, had all you know the glue got heated up because the turf was so hot and everybody's shoes started falling apart and we went into halftime 
we all had to change, you know, turf cleats to, um, you know, get over the glue melting and everybody's, you know, bottoms falling off and stuff. But, the, you know, that was a rough, rough day. Um, you know, when you want to look at it, um, we weren't the only ones that fell victim that year. Brett Favre personally beat that year um, as the quarterback of Southern Miss, recovering from a uh, DUI slash accident in the summer before that season started. Um, you know, he beat Alabama, Auburn, and Florida State, um, mm-hmm. all three of those, you know, big-time programs. Um that the fall of his senior year before he became draft eligible. Yeah, he that was an amazing uh, game. I remember that. It was Chris Anderson's first game, and I want to – the first time he ever touched the ball, he scored a touchdown on a punt return, and I was running through the house so excited because, of course, he had gone to Huntsville High where I went, but unfortunately it was called back due to penalty. So uh, <laughs> in, in that game, you know, there was a lot of things that happened, people getting injured, and it was a, a long day, but uh, it was a foreshadowing for, as you said, Brett Favre and – the great career uh, that he had uh, at the uh, in the in, in National Football League after he was a second round draft choice of the Atlanta Falcons and then traded to Green Bay in one of the greatest steals in history as Favre went on to rewrite uh, the record books as everyone knows and now is uh, in Canton, Ohio uh, after finally retiring after one of the longest careers in National Football League history. Uh, but William, uh, speaking of quarterbacks, some news today coming down not surprising because I don't think anybody bought the fact that uh, that and, and and still don't even with the other target Talia Tungavailoa that that these quarterbacks are going to hold out until late in the process uh, I think everybody believes the two dominoes for Alabama will be in place before the season but uh, to no real surprise uh, Paul Tyson the great-grandson of coach Paul Bear Bryant uh, going into his second year starting for Josh Floyd at Hewitt Trustful High School, uh, was attending practice today and went public uh, with his commitment to the University of Alabama. Yeah, I don't think it was a really big secret either. Um, I respect the young man for, you know, getting it out of the way early and and, and having a chance. You know, um, know, his offensive tackle, uh, Pierce Quick, is kind of, you know, taking the lead reins of, of being a guy that's, you know, out there trying to actively recruit other players uh, to be a part of this recruiting class. Uh, you know, now Paul Tyson will join him. Um, you know, Drew, I think, uh, you know, there's two other big-time players on that uh, Trussell team. I expect the uh, 2020 wide receiver, uh, the Worsham kid, to probably join them this summer. Um, and, of course, you know, a guy that, um, there's all kinds of pictures out there on social media. I don't think it's any real big secret, uh, you know, that Paul Tyson and Pierce Quick have have uh, Clay Webb, uh, the number one center in the country for 2019 in their back pocket. Um, he's going to join this class um, and and be a guy that that recruits other people uh, there for the program. Um, but but I, I thought it was something that kind of needed to happen. Um, you know, to, to kind of give, you know, Alabama fans a little bit of a break that are, you know, living in fear of, of, of the new Alabama boogeyman, Kirby Smart. Um, you know, Alabama's sitting there now with six commitments for the 2019 class. 
if you look at the rivals rankings, they're they're sitting there at number four. Um, you know, with a chance to really move up fast if they get a couple more guys between now and the A Day game, and I expect them to get um, two or three guys between now and the A Day game. Um, but you know, I'll say this about Paul Tyson: um, I've got a, a friend of mine that is one of his coaches, and you know, this goes back to two years ago um, when he was struggling to try and make the Mountain Brook football team. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see him and his dad pack up their stuff and, and go to Trustful. Um, you know, the, 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 I'm not going to name the guy that was his coach, but, you know, he wasn't really high on him two years ago. But now all of a sudden, um, you know, after what he did last year at Hewitt Trustful, um, he's trying to tell me that he thinks that Paul Tyson – um, which I'm still on the fence about this a little bit, but we'll see how it works out, is A.J. McCarron 2.0. And I think that's a great compliment to Paul Tyson. Um, we'll see how it works out. But um, obviously, you know, a really good day, Drew, for, for the Alabama football program. They get a, um, you know, a defensive lineman prospect um, that Josh Gaddis was the lead recruiter for, obviously, you know, Coach Cool and, and, and Nick Saban signed off on getting Rashard Chaney. Um, you know, you're going to hear the other side of the stick from Georgia fans that, um, you know, second and Kirby, you know, stopped recruiting him. Um, but I think getting, you know, these two guys in the same day and, and when you go into um, what's going on in the weekend um, where you might see the – elite player from the state of Louisiana who is, you know, kind of labeled as an athlete, which I get that. Um, but but I, I think you might see, um, you know, one of Alabama's top uh, targets as an outside linebacker in Christian Harris. Um, he's bringing his mom and his dad this weekend to Tuscaloosa, and I think you might see him pull the trigger over the weekend. Yeah, he's a great athlete, Christian Harris, and as you said, Rashard Chaney uh, committed to Alabama. I, I, uh, you know, I started studying him a little bit last night. William, he comes from Ellenwood, Georgia, Cedar Grove High School, the alma mater of Brandon Green, who uh, spent five years at Alabama, was a inline blocking tight end, a role player for the Tide. Uh, you know, it, it's tough to make comparisons, but that's ultimately what you're going to do in recruiting. And I'm not putting this kind of pressure on the young man. But he's, he's, he's kind of the same height and weight uh, situation coming into high school. And he had the, a really nice first step on film really quick. He kind of reminded me a little bit on tape of a guy like Dalvin Tomlinson. Bingo, Drew. That's exactly who I thought of when I watched his film. Um, and I can remember, um, you know, five short years ago when, when Alabama fans you know, weren't really excited about getting Dalvin Tomlinson as a recruit because, you know, he wasn't a, you know, a high-rated four-star, five-star defensive lineman. And, you know, so, some people were able to peel back the onion and say, well, you know, he was a state championship wrestler. And then, you know, of course, you've got the, you know, the other segment of the Alabama fan base that says, um, well, Kirby Smart didn't want him, so he's not really good. Well, uh, who cares? Uh, Kirby Smart didn't want Jalen Ramsey 
or, or Raquan McMillan either. And we saw how good those two guys, you know, proved out to be. Um, you know, the thing, Drew, that really has cracked me up today about this, you know, commitment from Cheney is, you know, less than a month ago, everybody in the Alabama nation, Drew, was celebrating the fact that Nick Saban had hired the guy that everybody thought was the best developer of defensive line prospects in the country in, in Coach Cool. And so let's fast forward from, I don't know, uh, February 22nd to April the 5th. Um, and, and so how do they pay him back with gratitude? Uh, they question his first damn uh, prospect that he takes. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to, you know, quote somebody that we both know real well based on the Alabama message boards in Silver Mountain 5150 TWMJR. Uh, let, let's cue the, um, um, you know, the quotes on worst fan base in America. Um, how anybody can question what Coach Cool and Coach Nick Saban want to take. If, you know, Drew, if they're taking a defensive line prospect this early in April, you and I both know how the coaching staff feels about them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the name yet. It took me a while to get Tonga Valoa down. Uh, people, I've already had people <laughs> tell me, man, you sure know how to say his name. I was like, well, you don't know how many times I had to say it before I got it right. But anyway... His uh, former teammate at uh, St. Louis High School in Honolulu, defensive lineman, uh, is, uh, has been visiting since Tuesday, William. Uh, he's going to Ohio State tomorrow. I saw a picture of him with the Tonga-Vailoa clan today. From what I understand, I'm talking to someone close to the situation, he measured 6'3", 305. And as expected yesterday, he was officially offered by Alabama. From what I understand, the visit was a home run, and they really want this kid. Uh, they think he can come in and uh, have an impact because they're going to, of course, expecting Raekwon to go pro after this year. Uh, Isaiah Bugs will move on to the NFL. Uh, Johnny Dwight as well. He will be. Uh, this will be his last year in Crimson. So they need defensive linemen, and this looks like a guy uh, that that could be maybe the defensive import from uh, the uh, the faraway state of Hawaii. Yeah, and, you know, let's wait and see what happens there. Um, you know, he, he was spotted yesterday at practice, uh, you know, wearing a, uh, you know, head-to-toe Alabama jumpsuit. Um, the, the fact that the, the, the offer was kind of late, um, you know, I, I think people have to understand that, you know, Nick Saban, you know, he's not the – the CEO of Rivals or 247 or Scout, whoever you want him to be, he has his own way of evaluating prospects. And I think one of the really good things that he does, which proves that, you know, he's the greatest of all time, is he wants to see these kids up close and personal and, and get evaluated heights, weights. You know, I think this goes back to, um, you know, the, the, the Samoan, um, Juco guy that they took recently. That, to beat him you know, a some people said, yes, sir. That some people thought was 360 pounds, which was a complete um, farce.
course, he wasn't. He was, you know, a little bit of a, a biscuit shy of three, uh, 340. Um, you know, what I don't understand, Drew, is, you know, we're sitting here going into spring practice. And, you know, you, you've got, you know, the guys that are out there doing their stuff. And, you know, today something happened that I thought was really valuable. Um, you saw Alex Leatherwood get shuffled over to right tackle. Jedrick Wills got shuffled to left guard. Um, you know, there was some, you know, musical chairs over there at center and some things got worked out. But um, I, I think the fact that Alex Leatherwood finally got a look at right tackle tells me that um, Nick Saban is really looking hard at the best five offensive linemen to play um, going forward in 2018 because I think Alex Leatherwood is more of a right tackle than he is a left tackle. I just don't see, you know, that 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 athleticism over there at left tackle. Um, and I'm going back to uh, DJ Fluker, you know, a guy that, you know, played at, uh, right tackle for Alabama for a long time and did a very good job. But I love seeing that that mix and match of Alex Leatherwood getting a look at right tackle, Jedrick Wills getting a look at right guard, and then you saw, you know, that kind of trickle-down approach to the rest of the offensive line. And I wanted to ask you about some of that because, you know, from what I was told this afternoon, uh, they were going to take a look at uh, Alex Leatherwood at right tackle, uh, Jonah at left. Jonah could still get a look at center and left guard, but I think they, they feel pretty good about Jonah at left tackle right now. Jedrick Wills, as you said, at right guard, and, of course, Matt Womack out with injury right now. Uh, and then Ross Pierce-Baker still at center. And then left guard was interesting because I was told Lester Cotton would be getting a, a look there. But a guy that I know Nick Saban is very high on, he spoke about him Tuesday when he spoke to the media, and then he sent him to speak to the media today uh, really for the first time in his career. But in, in really, he, he made some, a strong comment about him being a leader. I'm interested to see what Josh Kasher does at left guard as well. He's been getting a look with the first group, and sounds like Nick Saban is very high on him going into this season. Josh has kind of bided his time behind some talented players, William, and he's played some in the past and been effective. But uh, And I know you liked him a lot in the recruiting process, but – he was along the lines of a William Vallejos. He maybe didn't have all the measurables, but he made this coaching staff sign him because of the way he performed it in camps at Alabama. And I know your former good friend, who's now the head football coach at Oregon, uh, Mario Cristobal, used to call him the little pit bull. But your thoughts on where Josh Kasher could fit in with this group, and can he ultimately put enough pressure on uh, Lester Cotton where he could beat him out? Well, I'll say this. I mean, I think you have to, you know, kind of peel the onion back, Drew, about all the stuff. Um, you know, it's, you know, still pre the first, you know, scrimmage, which you and I both know is coming up Saturday. And I think even the bigger one is next Saturday where you see jobs kind of get, you know, won or lost. But when, when, when you know, you're talking about a guy like Josh Kasher, you know, people have forgotten, and I think this is, you know, part of, 
you know, the Alabama fan base being spoiled and, you know, wanting to see that bright, shiny object out there every day. And don't get me wrong. Um, you know, if you want to see that bright, shiny object, you, you don't have to go any further than uh, a guy that's a third-team right tackle right now in Scott Lashley and a guy that's the second-team left tackle in Alex Leatherwood, the prettiest some bitches you'll ever see getting off the bus. But I do like the fact that, that, you know, Brent Key has moved Alex Leatherwood over to right tackle just to get a peek um, because, you know, he's never going to beat Jonah Williams out at left tackle, uh, despite what you saw in the second half of the uh, uh, Georgia game. You know, it's no different than, um, you know, the, the quarterback battle. You know, a starting job is not one in two quarters of football. And I love the fact that, you know, Nick Saban is, is moving these guys around and playing chess. And he's playing 3D chess while Kirby Smart is playing checkers. Um, but you know, there is so many good uh, inside interior guys at Alabama. And, you know, let, let's see what Alex Leatherwood does at right tackle. I think that is his natural position. Um, but – you know, if you're asking me about who I think the, the starting offensive line is, Drew, um, I don't think you can answer that to be even, you know, close to being accurate, and it, you know, deep into, um, you know, the August practices. That, that's where it's going to come down to. You're right. Uh, it's going to be some outstanding, very interesting battles because – and we're not even really talking about him, but uh, he was a, a very solid right tackle in his first year starting as a redshirt sophomore. But uh, Matt Womack will get every opportunity to compete himself, uh, almost assuredly probably still at right tackle, but could get a look maybe even inside. You know that uh, they're going to give him an opportunity to compete. Oh, without a doubt. You know, I think that's one of, you know, Drew, that's one of the most amazing things to me. Um, you know, going into the spring practice battle, you know, even before he broke his foot, is people have to, you know, rectify themselves. Alabama fans have to rectify themselves to admit this is, you know, outside of Jonah Williams and Bradley Bozeman, uh, Matt Womack graded out the third best offensive lineman of the 2017 season. He was named the offensive lineman of the week, I think two or three times, um, did, did a great job as, as his first year, you know, starting over there. Um, even more so than a guy named DJ Fluker, who was a first round draft pick. Um, you know, we'll see how that all plays out and works into, you know, fall camp. But yeah, when Matt Womack gets off the, uh, the scooter and, you know, gets the cast off of his leg, he is certainly going to factor in um, as to where all these, you know, pieces of the puzzle plays into the Alabama offensive line for 2018. Yeah, there's no question about that. And uh, I thought it was interesting uh, that uh, uh, Nick Saban, you can always tell who he's high on during practice because the, they speak to the media. Uh, he also he also sent Irv Smith uh, to talk to the uh, media today, and 
Irv, we've already talked about uh, how he could be uh, maybe inclined to have a breakout year, especially considering uh, if they if the passing game is better and the ball is you're able to spread it out a little bit. Irv made some plays last year, but I know you've been very high on him since they flipped him from Texas A&M. Uh, from Brother Martin High School in New Orleans uh, and the kind of competition he played against. And like you and I both, we both like Bloodlines. His father, a former NFL tight end, also played at Notre Dame. So Irv Smith is a guy that I think they're uh, counting on to uh, really be a big factor this year. And I you know, I, he'll, I think he, he'll play two more years at Alabama. I, I don't foresee Irv uh, you know, leaving early, but I can see him developing into a guy that's drafted and a very – you know, he's kind of flying under the radar right now, but I think maybe we, people this year might figure out uh, what, what kind of po- uh, prospect he is, William. No, I totally agree with you, man. That guy is a game changer at the tight end position. Now, how does Alabama choose to incorporate him into the game plan, you know, every Saturday? You know, that's up to, you know, Mike, you know, Mike Loxley and, and Dan Enos. But as far as you talking about Earth Smith being a guy that, you know, is wandering around out there in the woods, no, no, no. He is a big-time college football player. And, you know, whether it's Jalen Hurts, you know, Tua Tungvaloa or Mac Jones, all it takes for that thing to get ignited is for somebody to feed him the ball. Yes, uh, I don't think there's any doubt uh, that uh, he he's he's a guy that's going to have a bigger role uh, on the offense. Uh, no question about it. We've already talked about Josh Kasher uh, and the opportunity he's gotten. He has stayed and grinded. Uh, he could have easily transferred to another school. But one of your favorites also spoke to the media today, William, and he got some special praise from Nick Saban on Tuesday. Nick Saban admitting right now he's seen some time with the ones. Uh, at nose guard, and he's really not somebody that people have talked about playing the nose uh, because they've really talked about him being an end. And I know Bo Davis was as high on him as almost anybody in the country during the recruiting process. He redshirted and played some last year, showed flashes. But it sounds like, and it, and it goes back to Nick Saban changing uh, philosophy, philosophies, even though he's bringing in Tavita Masika from a depth perspective, they're wanting a smaller, quicker defensive lineman. But your thoughts on Nick Saban going public with the fact that, you know, uh, Quinnen Williams could maybe be playing the nose for Alabama with the ones this year. Oh, I, I think he can certainly do that. And, and, you know, let, let's talk about where he was as a recruit on the Alabama recruiting board. Um, the only person that the Alabama coaching staff had rated above Quinn Williams, um, you know, when, when he was being recruited out of high school, was Marlon Davidson. Um, and, you know, that, that includes Rashawn Gary and, and some other guys that were, you know, highly rated by the recruiting services. But Quinn Williams can slide down inside um, and, and hold the, the two gaps. Um, he, he can go back out to uh, the five-technique defensive end position and do that. You know, Drew, I think that you bring up a great point. Um, that there's, there's too much focus on, um, in my opinion, the 
Alabama defensive line, you know, that consists of uh, Raquan Davis, you know, Isaiah Bugs, Quentin Williams um, going forward. But, you know, let's talk about where, where they plug and play with certain positions. And you, you nailed it. Um, Quentin Williams can play all five positions. He's basically like a Jonah Williams or a Jedrick Wills on the other side of the football. He can play all five positions on the defensive side of the football. Yes, he can, and uh, very excited to see the progress he's made. The other young man who spoke to the media played a role last year, especially due to injury. Um, he's really kind of grown into his own. He's he's a guy, I don't know that he'll play professional football, but he's, uh, he's a valuable role player, and we know uh, especially – He's a versatile guy. He could play inside and out. Jamie Mosley spoke to the media. And, William, I know he can play either the Sam or the Jack position. He mostly plays Sam. But if Keith Holcomb doesn't come back for his fifth year, we've already seen the Vandarius Cowan situation, very uncertain. Uh, and then Markel Benton seems to be maybe back among the good graces of the coaching staff. But Jamie Mosley is a fifth-year senior that they trust. He's a guy that's versatile as well that could play maybe one of those inside spots if needed uh, in spot duty in his senior year. Well, you know, I think if he could get, you know, jump in inside, um, he would be more valuable. But, you know, he's not his brother. I mean, he's not, you know, CJ. No, not at all, not at all. Um, but, but, you know, again, he, he's been in the program um, you know, been there for several years, um, played a big role in Alabama's, uh, uh, you know, 2017 national championship. Um, you know, again, you know, he was without, um, Christian Miller, Terrell Lewis, you know, those guys that are, you know, elite pass rushers, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, Mosley is more of a, um, you know, uh, you know, first and 10, third and short kind of a guy that gets out there at the jack linebacker spot and, you know, gets dirty and, and does stuff. But, but, you know, he's not, you know, Terrell Lewis. He's not Christian Miller. We'll see what happens with him. But, um, you know, a, a great player um, that, that comes to work every day and, and, and delivers. Yep, uh, he's a role guy. you got to have those uh, valuable role players, no doubt about it, uh, as uh, we've been continuing to break down uh, some Alabama football. Uh, just real quickly, too, uh, on a basketball note, uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to have it on Talking Ball and try to stream it live, but 10 a.m. tomorrow uh, from the University of Alabama and Coleman Coliseum, they're going to have a press conference uh, for Colin Sexton. Uh, we are hearing uh, that he is going to declare for the NBA draft, but I will say and go on record, the decision was not easy. Uh, his family seriously considered coming back uh, and trying to maybe, for he, they know it's not as top-heavy a draft next year, especially with uh, big uh, post players. He could have maybe gone in the top three, but he's still, I think, going to, especially after the workouts and the interviews and the, and the draft process really begins, uh, got a very good chance to go in the top ten and be the first guard selected. So Colin Sexton did what he was uh, – everybody thought he was, he had a chance to do. He elevated Alabama's program. He got him back to the NCAA tournament. He was a big force behind that. He lived up to all the hype as a player, you know, 
first team all SEC, freshman of the year in the league, uh, set the Alabama freshman scoring record. He did just about anything you could ask, but he uh, will very likely declare for the NBA draft. Very strongly believe that tomorrow at 10 a.m. Uh, then we'll see, you know, and Riley Norris, the uh, senior from Albertville, missed most of this year due to a hip injury. He's had surgery. He's rehabbed. He still spent a lot of time with the team on the bench and throughout the process. He is going to come back for his fifth season and get to end it hopefully the right way. Happy for Riley. We could see some more roster attrition. We'll see who that could be. Uh, now, they have enough roster flexibility right now if Riley returned. They could move uh, Avery Johnson Jr. to a walk-on and still with the three signees make, uh, make the numbers work. But I still think there could be another departure. We will have to wait and see what happens there. But strongly believe uh, that Colin Sexton is going to declare for the NBA draft, and he should be Alabama's first uh, first-round draft choice since all the way back in 2001 when one Gerald Wallace of Childersburg left Alabama after a year and was selected as in, the, in the first round, in the, and I think he was around 25th overall. And he's going to be Alabama's first lottery pick since the days of Latrell Sprewell. Uh, and, and, no, excuse me, Latrell actually was late first round, but the days, days of guys like Robert Ory and Antonio McDice. I think Antonio McDice was actually the last one when he went number two overall in 1995. But it's going to be a great day for Alabama to get them back in the conversation in the National Basketball Association. Though, right now, I'm not a big fan of the NBA, and for obvious reasons, and that's kind of to segue into our next conversation, I love this new barbershop talk that Nick Saban has put together when you see guys like Julio Jones, Ryan Anderson, um, Eddie Jackson coming back and talking about their experiences at the University of Alabama, and Nick Saban joining the conversation. Coach Scott Cochran, even Calvin Ridley a little bit, all these guys talking about their time at Alabama. And, of course, uh, the Al Gore of professional athletes, LeBron James, has come back and commented basically that, that Alabama is infringing on the copyright because he had been doing something similar, though he seems to forget Cedric the Entertainer and these barbershop movies, acting like he's created uh, the barbershop uh, conversation pieces and wanting Alabama to cease and desist. I liked that Nick Saban basically said LeBron James is a great basketball player, and he really is, but basically he needed to stay in his lane and keep doing his thing, keep doing his show, but don't worry about Alabama's. They're going to keep doing theirs. I really don't understand this, but uh, again, uh, and I can bring Thomas Watts back into the conversation. Thomas, I know you have a take on this, but just really don't understand why LeBron James is kind of getting involved in this uh, with uh, Alabama and making – Uh, basically uh, an issue out of nothing, so to speak. Well, the only thing that I get out of it is he feels, obviously you feel this is incorrect, that he has no case. And I think based on some of the legal analysts that have posted about it, he has a very weak case. He was just trying to get kind of a cheapie and get some free publicity. And technically that's all he's done. Um, I don't really blame him for trying to defend his business interests, even if, you know, completely outside of the situation, he doesn't really have a leg to stand on. And by and large, in you know, at the end of the day, whatever. I I feel like he kind of shot his mouth off, but it's not like this isn't LeBron James kind of being a control freak. I mean, half the problem with the Cleveland Cleveland Cavaliers this year is that it's LeBron James, the GM's team, and LeBron James, the basketball player, is excellent, but LeBron James, the GM, 
sometimes leaves something to be desired. So <laughs> true. I, I just I just look at it in the same vein. He is very good at some things, and because he's very good at some things, I get the impression that he feels like he's very good at all things, which is not realistic, but you're welcome to feel Agreed. Like you're yeah, you're welcome to feel however you want to feel. And if you feel like you need to defend your assets, go do what you do. It doesn't really change my opinion of the guy. It's just, okay, this little flap has happened. I'm gonna let lawyers figure it out. And my only thing is at the end of the day, I do not want to be talking about this a month from now because then to me it's going outside of the realm of kind of acute annoyance or acute spat that I'm only peripherally interested in to the acute annoyance has become a major problem because we can't seem to get past it. That's all I'd say about the whole deal, Drew. Well, yeah, I mean, I just don't, I just, you know, again, I don't mind what LeBron's doing. If he's already been, I didn't even know he'd done a barbershop type situation uh, show with, uh, you know, NBA guys and pro athletes, uh, you know, making conversations. That's fine. Great. Go ahead and do that. Uh, but don't, uh, you know, don't uh, try to dictate to the University of Alabama what they can do because I've never seen a, co- a college do this kind of thing. It's once again, to me, another feather in the cap of Nick Saban and his and, and just the, and how cunning he is with his program. Uh, but, and it gives him a platform. I, I, what I liked is at the end of part two, it, I guess the best way to, to phrase it is part two of episode one uh, Nick Saban at the very end, uh, 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 Thomas, uh, he, 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 he commented about how he, he, you know, he, he's kind of, he, he gets tired of the misinformation coming out as far as the negative recruiting that uh, teams do against Alabama because they try to tell these kids, well, you'll, you'll never play. He doesn't play the, uh, he doesn't play young players. You'll have to wait until you're a junior to play when uh, he can, he can have Julio Jones and Eddie Jackson and, and Ryan Anderson and Calvin really to refute that. Uh, and like Julio said, no, you're going to play. You just got to work. You got to work and you got to earn it. But if you do, then you'll play. And I just think it's an ingenious move. Uh, you know, and, now with, and, they, and they discussed social media and the impact and how you have to manage it. And Nick Saban is brilliant, even though he's a guy that doesn't have a Twitter account. He joked in the piece that he can't even voice text his wife. But he's very, very cunning in the way that he can get his message out to kids and who better than Alabama, which right now, uh, as you know, Thomas, five and nine years, and with all the guys that he's got in the NFL draft, it's you know, uh, it's just an infomercial on how to run a program. And, and it's really neat to see someone from your area, Julio Jones, who I still think, in my opinion, is a legend and the GOAT and, I th- and the standard bearer for what this program has been built on for the example he set. And you know how quiet he was when he was at Alabama and he, and he even talked about how when he was in high school and, and during his career at Bama, he was more a quiet guy and just wanted to kind of observe and watch. But now he's even more comfortable in his own skin. And when he, now he's using his platform as one of the best wide receivers in the National Football League to talk about his experience at Alabama and how it shaped him as the person that he is today. Well, I think it needs to get stated you know, multiple times that this is a masterstroke. I mean, it really is targeted. You talked about the social media and the negative recruiting and all that. And that's a major target of this whole series. You know, one of the things that Nick Saban has done since his time at Alabama is he has 
change the recruiting game over and over. Every year, or it feels like every year, maybe every other year, Nick Saban does something. I don't know what it is this go-around, but he does something that ticks other people off, and the rule gets changed because of it. And I think Nick Saban has changed the game again with this. And it's going to be really, really hard to control this one because all Alabama's doing is shooting a video for a conversation and tweeting it onto social media. Now, will there probably be some DMs saying, hey man, check out XYZ Shop Talk or Bama Cuts or whatever the hell the name is uh, name is now or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, I think that's going to happen. But the NCAA already said it's okay to DM recruits like that. So I think it's a great way to kind of get around some of the more recruiting headaches that the NCAA has instituted. And just for me as a fan, you know, a guy that, okay, I've got 10 minutes, I can watch this. It's a very interesting way to peel back the curtain. And it's something that I could I can appreciate just because, you know, I was peripherally involved, you know, tutoring some of the players when I was up at Alabama. So again, it's just another facet to a very interesting situation that I find just worth spending my time on. So Masterstroke by Nick Saban. Honestly, Drew, I think the copycats are coming. I fully expect this to be no question. This to be the new thing. And every time it happens, I'm just going to grin and just sort of laugh, just to be honest with you. I guess next we're going to have bowl cuts by Kirby Smart. No, that'd be that'd be uh, John Gruden and uh, Mark Davis out in uh, Oakland and soon Vegas. But, yeah, I understand what you mean. <laughs> yeah. But Georgia cuts, the bowl cut for the peckerhead known as Kirby Smart. I know it's coming. I'm sure it is. And he'll... And he'll claim, of course, that, it, that Nick Saban probably stole his ideas, what he'll tell recruits, or something ridiculous like that. But, I mean, of course, he's already told recruits that, and I think that's the reason Nick Saban kind of threw that cell void in there at the end, that Coach Saban was reaching the end, and, uh, you know, that they were the new Bama, and that uh, he was about to retire. This is going to be his last shot, yada, yada, yada. And now uh, Kirby's doing a great job recruiting, but he better be because – uh, I still think Alabama's fixing to have, a, you know, seven years of Tongo Vailoas. So good luck to uh, Kirby with that. I'm sure he's still having nightmares watching Tua dissect his defense in the second half for uh, instead of, you know, the nickname he had at Alabama, third in Kirby, it was second in Kirby, uh, and they took one on the chin. So good luck to Georgia. They're going to need it. Uh, they're going to be the favorite. And uh, Personally, I hope they fall flat on their face the, in week two in Columbia, South Carolina. I'd like to see Will Muschamp ambush uh, Mr. Smart. We'll see what happens. I know South Carolina and and, uh, Georgia are back to playing early this year. They played later in the year last year. And with uh, South Carolina being fresher, perhaps having, you know, Debo Samuel healthy, uh, also Rico Dowdle, maybe they can scare the daylights at least out of Georgia, who should be very talented, but a young team because they lost, you know, 30 plus seniors and, Really want to see if Kirby Smart can handle the uh, the favorite role. If he can, then maybe he's there to stay. Perhaps he is a great football coach. But I'm like our colleague William Redfish Barger, who was with us earlier tonight. I'm I'm St. Louis, and then I'm the, I'm the show me state, Missouri. You're going to have to show me. And and uh, Georgia, I, I think you know they surprised me last year. I was critical of Kirby in his first year, and I thought he didn't do. I thought he did just a decent job, but they certainly had improved and. And uh, had a great year last year, but they, they just, once again, 
the old Ric Flairism to be the man, you got to beat the man, and they couldn't beat Alabama. And so right now, they're still having to watch their Herschel Walker DVDs because they haven't won a national championship since the days of the venerable Vince Dooley. Well, the thing for me is, I think Kirby Smart deserves a ton of credit for what he did last year. But oh yeah, but I feel like Georgia this 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 let's call it this two year segment. Obviously, Georgia had more success, and Tennessee three years ago and two years ago have a ton of parallels Mm -hmm. because if you remember, you know, Oh, what was the storyline for Tennessee? They have all these young players and they're going to get mature and they were so close last year. And you know, Oh, the next year they're going to, they're going to challenge Alabama and they're going to run rough shot over the East and blah, blah, blah. Superlatives flowed. Tennessee was the trendy pick to destroy the East at SEC media days. And a few people, were saying this set of the schedule sets up very poorly. And it was that run where they had the miracle Georgia win. Then they had a barroom brawl with Texas A&M, which they ended up losing. <laughs> and then at the very end of it, they ran into the buzzsaw that was Alabama and got absolutely annihilated. And before that season, I said, it's real easy to be the hunter, real hard to be the hunted. And, you know, Georgia's the favorite. You know, I was reading something as you and William were having your conversation that, you know, ESPN's football power index says Georgia's the yep. favorite in the SEC East. So, you know, it's not just Georgia fans thinking they're the favorite. You're having mathematical models say, and, you know, dubious nature of mathematical models aside, believe me, I can give you a whole show on those. But, <laughs> you know, you're having a major media outlet say based on our numbers Georgia should win the should win the conference that you know that that's a great thing for Kirby Smart in program but it means that suddenly the target's there and you know Butch Jones is now a member of the Alabama offensive analyst a member of the Alabama staff because he wilted when the target was on his back I don't know what's going to happen with Kirby but uh it's put up or shut up time because everybody sees you now and everybody's going to circle you, and it's not a, it's 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 a very open question. I'm with you, Drew. Show me, please. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be Georgia's going to be in that uh, role of the favorite. They weren't last year. Uh, Florida was to a lot of people, and now we're going to see if Dan Mullen can resuscitate their offense and if he can recruit a little bit better. Uh, was still surprised at everything that went wrong for Coach. Uh, Jim McElwain, but he's now on the staff of Jim Harbaugh, coaching wide receivers uh, in Michigan. And, of course, uh, how what a small world coaching is. He takes the place of Dan Enos, who left to come back to Alabama and coach the quarterbacks. Very excited to see what Coach Enos can do with Tua Tonga-Vailoa, uh, also uh, with Jalen Hurts and with Mac Jones. And and I know the scrimmage that there were our last few minutes, Thomas, just to get your thoughts before we wrap up this BAMS radio I'm anxious to kind of see how Mac Jones and Jalen perform this weekend. Also, the kind of the uh, the groupings along that offensive line. Uh, also, defensively, how they look under this new staff and and uh, Tosh Lupoi, Pete Golding, uh, obviously, uh, uh, and 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 just uh, all the where, where these pieces are fitting. We talked about Quinn and Williams being at nose, uh, and but uh, your just your thoughts. What are you going to be uh, monitoring the closest uh, from the standpoint? of this scrimmage well it's really three things drew 
And the first one is the quarterbacks. You know, what do they look like? How are they able to perform? What is the offense? Does the offense click? And honestly, I'm going to be very concerned if any of the quarterbacks really struggle because right now the secondary is not bad, but kind of at half strength. The depth is not really there. And you have a lot of new moving pieces playing what, for the scrimmage, will be meaningful snaps. So that that would be a huge red flag if the quarterbacks were to struggle that mightily this upcoming weekend. But, you know, the other side of it is I want to see who's where in the secondary. You know, there have been reports. Deontay Thompson had a very, very good couple of playoff games. And Xavier McKinney, who our good friend Murph Baldwin is very, very high on, has been getting reps. Yes. Yes. But, you know, who else is there? Who's Who flows around? Who ends up settling? Does somebody look really bad? That's the kind of thing I'll be looking at. So both sides of the, essentially the passing game would actually be the best way to answer it. And then the second thing, or, you know, I guess the third thing, depending on how you define it, I want to see this kicking thing, the kickers that you and mm-hmm. William talked about last week on the show. And I have to admit, I hadn't thought about it. And when both you and William articulated your concerns and what you'd heard and what you understand from the people that you talk to, I want to see it for myself. And really, you know, I don't expect J.K. Scott and Lee Tiffin-like awesomeness, but I also don't expect 25 right. duck punts and Jesus take the wheel, we're kicking a field goal feelings coming back. So... Mm-hmm. That, that's really where I'm looking at for the uh, excuse me for the the, the 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 scrimmage. I can talk. The offensive line will be interesting, and just generally, you know, who looks good. You know, there'll always be the who does who makes the splash play type thing. But those are really my big groups that I'm going to spend a lot of time looking at this weekend. Yeah, we are looking forward to uh, you know hearing uh, the reports from the scrimmage and. Uh, you know, it should be some really good stuff. Uh, they'll have they'll scrimmage in the next two weeks. And as you said, I want to see Skyward DeLong, how he's coming along at punter. Uh, it, what, what, what kind of progress has Joseph Belovis made? Uh, when Is Austin Jones going to be the answer? Is he going to have to be when he gets here in May, the, the graduate transfer from Temple? So very interested to see what happens in the kicking game, even, even more so in the return game. Uh, but we know that Jalen Waddle is not going to be here until May either. So, There'll be some pieces coming in, but as you said, they're going to have to keep competing in the secondary, even with uh, some short depth, which saw, you know, uh, Devonta Smith uh, working with the corners today, but uh, and has Slade Bolden has been too, but I think we both agree those two guys are offensive players down the road. They're just waiting for Joshua Job to get there, and of course Patrick Sertain, Eddie Smith, some very talented uh, student-athletes, no doubt about it. I'm going to be uh, keeping my uh, ear to the ground really focusing on, uh, you know, how Mac Jones and Jalen Hurts look, uh, the uh, combinations on the offensive line. I want to see if Terrell Shavers, does he make plays at wide receiver? They've talked, you know, Coach Saban has talked him up, you know, how the defensive line looks uh, and the and the, uh, the linebackers, but especially the secondary. You know, is that secondary making progress? And then, as you said, we talked about the kicking game. So a lot of things to monitor. Uh, and we'll be bringing you uh, full reaction next week on BAMS Radio. We hope you en- enjoyed our show tonight. We want to thank William Redfish Barger, who joined us earlier tonight and gave us some of his insight. 
into the uh, scrimmage and some of these guys and their position battles. Also talked about Paul Tyson and Rashard Chaney, who have uh, both verbally committed to the University of Alabama. Uh, Christian Harris could be next this weekend, bringing his parents down to visit. And even there's rumors about, uh, you know, uh, uh, the uh, the number one uh, defensive tackle in the country, and he's from a very familiar high school. He's got a teammate, Devonta Lee, who's a great wide receiver. Sam Petito uh, is uh, uh, a guy that's still at the University of Alabama, has great ties to that community. Uh, but Ismail Shopshire, uh, who's a big-time defensive tackle, there's even rumors that maybe he could join the fold, maybe not this weekend, but in the near future for the University of Alabama. So recruiting, I think, is about to hit an uptick and smack Kirby Smart right across the face. He had a great class this past year, one of the better ones ever on paper to kind of match up uh, historically with the 08 Alabama group in 2017 Alabama. But it looks like Nick Saban, with his retooled coaching staff, is coming back with a vengeance. But I want to thank Thomas Watts uh, for his uh, uh, you know production tonight. Uh, always does a great job uh, keeping this show running. Uh, great commentary on LeBron James and talking a little scrimmage. And, of course, William Redfish Barger. We want to thank all of our listeners who uh, always give us great feedback. And thank you for supporting BAMS Radio. And we will come to you next week. Uh, with a lot of scrimmage reaction. That should be a great hour of uh, Crimson Tide talk, and we'll be with you then. But everybody have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you in a few days. Scrimmage number one of spring practice coming up for Nick Saban going into his 12th season. Everybody, good night, and roll tide.